Um, oh, yep, it's not always... We're not always welcomed to things. Anybody here been turned away at a nightclub? <laughs> no? Well, maybe not nightclubbing enough. I, I have strong memories of um, uh, our first wedding anniversary. Me and Linda was in Macau, and it was stinking hot, and it wasn't the gambling in the casino that was attractive, it was the air conditioning. <laughs> but we had committed the fatal flaw of wearing shorts. So we were turned away. Can you remember being turned away from something? What about, I turned up to an, um, uh, uh, to an airport with a passport that had the valid visa. In Chinese, I couldn't tell it was the valid visa, but a few pages before it had the same visa with a stamped invalid, also in Chinese. They wouldn't let me on the flight. Horrible feeling, or um, probably more universal, who here went to a fairground and there was a ride and you weren't tall enough? Anyone remember that? And you just, that feeling of being turned away is awful. Um, this morning we're just going to talk a little bit about being welcomed and what that might mean for Jesus. And one of the ways we're going to do that is with a song. So, with, any, with the joys of modern technology, here's a verse of a song, I hope. Okay. Anyone heard that before? Oh, yep. That's a few. Excellent. Come all you vagabonds. Come all you don't belongs. Winners and losers. Come people like me. Come all you travellers. Tired from the journey. Come wait a while. Stay a while. Welcomed you'll be. I was up in Auckland uh, a few weeks ago in a church where they sang this song and I was really struck by the words, by the welcome of God. At youth, they've been looking at Jesus. Jesus, the healer, Jesus, the teacher, and very shortly, Jesus, the friend. And if you were going to say anything about Jesus, the friend, we would instantly think, oh, yeah, Jesus, my friend, my buddy. But actually, his social life is scandalous. He welcomes all the wrong people over and over again. The Jews of Jesus' time had very strong rules about who you could spend time with, um, there were two kinds of people that you should not hang with, and the first was foreigners, racist, yeah, just a little, maybe a lot, and rule breakers known as sinners. They were bad. And what's more, they were so bad that it was catching. If you hung around with them, you became unclean. You caught their badness. An early Mishnah, now this was written, they think about three years after Jesus was born by um, a Jewish, a Jewish rabbi said this. I, I quite like it. Concerning tax collectors who enter the house. So if a tax collector, someone who's going to assess how much tax you should pay, enters your house, what happens? Well, the house instantly becomes unclean. He's so bad that if he walks, steps into your house, it's all unclean and you're going to have to do something to sort it out. Concerning thieves who enter the house, well, only the place trodden by the feet of the thieves is unclean. Okay, and what do they render unclean? Uh, food, any liquids, clay utensils that are open. But good news, the couches and the seats and the clay utensils that are, uh, are sealed with a tight seal are clean. If there's a foreigner with them, if there's a Gentile with them, everything is unclean. So quite strong rules about what you can touch and can't touch. And there's a series of rules for if you become unclean, here are the things you need to do to try and get 
back from becoming unclean. There's their sacrifices or cleaning rituals. You can't go into the temple until you become clean. And so in his day, there's a very, very strong sense of you can't touch this. You can't hang with, hang with them. And this, the, Jesus' response to that colours a lot of the gospel stories of Jesus. People he shouldn't hang with or touch with because he should become unclean. Stories of them abound. And more than that, in Roman culture, there was, um, and Greek culture and Jewish culture, you didn't eat with people who weren't, you didn't regard as being your social and kind of moral um, equals. So you ate with people, so businessmen would eat with businessmen, but they wouldn't eat with their employees much. Okay? And they wouldn't, I, um, a friend of mine taught at a, um, what's the, the closed brethren school, and um, I really enjoyed the teaching. But every lunchtime he was in a room by himself because he wasn't allowed, they weren't allowed to eat with him. They'd become unclean. So there's that kind of sense in Roman and Greek culture that if you eat with someone, you are identifying with them, and in some ways they would think you're endorsing their behavior. Okay, that's a, endorse is a really funny word for me. I've heard it used in church circles. Um, but in those days, so you ate with someone if they were your social and religious equals. And this was so upsetting to see Jesus breach this that people said of him, here is a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and you've already got an idea of how bad a tax collector is. If they step in your house, everything's unclean. Well, no, sorry, that's, that's a foreigner. <laughs> yep. So what we see in Jesus with his social life is that he is really happy to breach these boundaries. Take the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. Jesus goes into Jericho and on the way he sees Zacchaeus, a tax collector who's climbed up a tree because he's short and because people aren't going to make way for him because he, they don't want him anywhere near him. And maybe, and Jesus looks up and says, hey, now think about this for a moment. If Jesus had um, a, a friend, a Jewish friend, in Jericho, could he invite Zacchaeus to their place? No, that would be a real breach, wouldn't it? And it's not his place, so he doesn't have a place. So it's kind of funny, he says to Zacchaeus, hey, um, come down, I'm going to eat at your place, which is, you know, kind of funny. And instantly, um, the crowd around him go, hang on, he's, um, he's gone to the guest of a sinner. You can't do this, this is not okay. And so maybe it's not a surprise that there's a meal and probably just tax collectors and other outsiders at the meal because, remember, this will also affect you if you're a good Jew and you go there, um, that Zacchaeus publicly repents and says he'll pay people back and more. And Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man who came to seek and save the lost. Now, a little bit of context of this. Why do people hate tax collectors so much? Well, taxation was for Rome. Um, uh, and actually, Rome took a huge amount of money out of all of its colonies. That was one of the markers. Uh, in fact, we know that when the Roman Empire fell, um, the areas around them that used to be part of the Roman Empire actually do suddenly better because most of their food is going for themselves whereas before it was all going to Rome. So, um, and what's more, Rome is this foreign ruler, so a, a tax collector is also a traitor, a traitor to the country. But Jesus says he is the son of Abraham, so he is at least Jewish. Yep, nonetheless, he's welcome. Let's go to the next verse. 
Just keep it up because it's good. Okay, here are the verses. Come all you questioners looking for answers and searching for reasons and sense in it all. Come all you fallen, come all you broken, find strength for your body and food for your soul. If Zacchaeus was at least Jewish, the centurion in Luke chapter 17 wasn't. He's an outsider and a Roman. And although he's favorable to the Jews, he gives money to the synagogue and he's supportive, he's still an out-and-out outsider and then allowed to eat it with him. And in chapter 7... Jesus hears this Roman man's servant is sick and decides to visit. Another don't go there moment. And the centurion hears and he sends some of his friends to say to Jesus, you don't need to come here. I know what it's like to have authority and you have authority. You have the kind of power that if you say something, a servant will do it. And Jesus is completely astonished and ends up saying, I haven't found such faith even in among even in Israel, even in the insiders. Interesting point where there's faith on the outside. So again, it's an outsider who, remember, he's a foreigner. What are the rules if a foreigner comes in your house? Everything becomes unclean. And the servant gets healed. Cue celebration. Come to the feast, there is room at the table. Come, let us meet in this place. They're the king of all kindness who welcomes us in with the wonder of love and the power of grace. The wonder of love and the power of grace. Another no-hoper is a sex worker, we think, in Luke 7, um, verse 36 onwards. Jesus has been invited to a religious person's house. Remember, no bad people allowed to come in. They make things unclean. They're reclined for a meal and in comes an uninvited guest. She's a woman, and probably a sex worker, so regarded in that culture as the lowest of the low. Little side story here, when Linda and I worked with drug addicts in Hong Kong, um, the bloke drug addicts would often tell their dramatic testimonies of finding Jesus. When we worked in a woman's house, they seldom did. And they seldom did because their background had been they'd ended up being sex workers to keep their habit going. And it seemed always incredibly unfair that um, one group of people could happily tell their story without repercussion and another group of people felt that they couldn't and yet their story was just as real. Just a way of highlighting that we, in our cultures, we're not always even-handed. So this is someone in the lower sections. And... Um, What she does is she goes in, the lowest of the low, she takes some perfume and washes Jesus' feet with it. And you could just make this huge list of the shocking aspects of there. She shouldn't be allowed in. She shouldn't be allowed to touch anything. Anything she touches becomes unclean. She certainly shouldn't be touching Jesus' feet. And the perfume, and it's just that there's a whole long list here of things that are just plain wrong. And at the end of the story... Jesus tells the woman his sins are forgiven. Now, one of the backgrounds of this story is the religious person who's invited Jesus for a meal has done none of the social etiquette things that you would normally do. Um, So she is modeling something else. But of course, as soon as 
Jesus says this, something interesting happens. Before then, they say, oh, if he knew who was touching him, you know, that would be a no-go. But as soon as Jesus says your sins are forgiven, they change the gospel. And they start saying, well, who is this who has the nerve to forgive sins? It seems to be a thing that the fire hour, the well-off, and the rich and the powerful struggle with in the Gospels. They, if you're rich and powerful, you're used to systemizing who can go where and do what. You have the luxury, because of your resource, of doing that. Whereas if you're really poor, you just have to do what you can to survive. So it seems to be the well-off who struggle with the fact that others just get invited in. Okay. One more verse. Come those who worry about houses and money And all those who don't have a care in the world From every station and orientation The helpless, the hopeless, the young and the old Come to... Okay, here we go. Come those who worry about houses and money. (laughs) And those who don't have a care in the world from every station and orientation, the helpless, the hopeless, the young and the old. Sorry. Stuart Townsend, who wrote this song, said he wondered why the churches of today aren't known as being as good as welcoming people as Jesus was. If Jesus was famous for being a friend of sinners... He wondered, are we? And in the Gospels, it's fair to say Jesus is hardest on those who think they have things sewn up. There's one occasion at a meal um, um, put on by a Pharisee, remember? Only the insiders apply to this. And Jesus watches the meal taking place and he notices how the well-off, the, the well-off and rich are treated and how the poor are treated. And he tells them, that actually you shouldn't do it this way. You should invite the poor and the lame and the blind to their celebrations. And this really rich guy says, oh, blessed is the one who will at that feast in the... Oh, I've got that wrong. Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Kind of saying, oh, it's going to be so good to be an insider at the end at that great feast. Now, Jesus has said almost nothing about the end. He makes one comment and this guy just focuses in on this is in Luke chapter 14 verse 15 and Jesus then tells this story a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests a well-off person has planned a celebration we don't know of what so he invites all the bigwigs the money the politicians the movers and shakers and insiders and he sends invites and then he gets his employees to touch base with them on the day like a Facebook reminder to say hey it's time and what happens in this story next is that the excuses roll in. The first guy said, I just bought a um, field on Facebook and I need to go and check it out. The second guy has just bought a car on um, Trade Me and needs to take it for a spin. And the third guy says, oh, I got married last week so I can't come. How do you reckon you rate these excuses? Well, they're honest. I'll give them that. And who here doesn't know the temptation? I've just bought this thing, and I really want to play with it. No, just me. Okay. (laughs) But all of these excuses miss the heart of the celebration. 
While the worried servants come back to report to the master, and the master says to the uh, guys, okay, quickly go out into the streets and alleyways of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And off they go. And then the next moment, next minute in the story, the servants are back and they say, what you have ordered been done, but there's still room. And the master says, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. and schemers and come all you restless just searching for home movers and shakers and givers and takers the happy the sad the lost and alone So let's have a look. Come all believers and dreamers and schemers. Come all you restless, just searching for home. Movers and shakers and givers and takers. The happy, the sad, the lost and alone. Jesus says at the end of the story, he has a hard-edged bit. He says, I tell you not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now he's saying it to this, the Pharisee, to his guests, and this person who has smugly thought, oh, it's going to be brilliant to be the insider. The similar story is told in Matthew, which is harsher. And actually has someone who comes to the party and didn't dress for the occasion and he gets thrown out. So it's not like there's no rules. Do you reckon this is a fair picture? Can you see that? People drawing lines and Jesus rubbing them out. It doesn't tell the whole story. And if you look at it and something rankles in you, pay attention to that. Like It's not wrong for something to rankle in you. The picture is not trying to say nothing applies. But just the sense of, I want to welcome. And I guess I, I notice this. See, we can't help but want to call the shots. And yet, Jesus is quite harsh on the ones who call the shots. And I'm a minister. So I'm one of those guys who does that. I can be the opinionated guy who wants to tell you guys you should do it this way and here are the rules of being welcomed. It comes from being part of any institution. And what seems to happen in the Gospels is that Jesus keeps bumping into the church of their time and noticing that they keep turning the good news of Jesus into the bad news of religion. It's got to be like this. Jesus goes straight to the dead ducks, the losers of the world, the outsiders, the excluded, and says, come to the party with free drink and free food and free costumes. Those who would have been turned away by the bouncers are welcome. And in the second invite in the story... The host has decided he has to have a full house. Everyone will come. The host wants everyone, wants a full house. So who is welcome? You are. We are. They are. All of us. Tato. And when, if, when your attention is grabbed by your own failures and your struggles and the things where you are seeing in yourself that you grieve and I'm not good enough, you're welcome. That's the good news, the grace of God. But when your attention is grabbed, shifted from Jesus, when you're investing energy into deciding who qualifies and how they might sort out their acts, and, well, 
I think if you read the stories in Luke and Matthew, we don't want to go there. One more. Become self-sufficient with wearied ambition and come those who feel at the end of the road. Fiery debaters and religion haters, accusers, abusers, heard and ignored. Come to the feast, there is room at the table. Come, let us meet in this place with the King of all kindness who welcomes us in. Come self-sufficient with wearied ambition. That one strikes me because uh, there are some critiques of the Western church to say our problem is we keep trying to make people self-sufficient and we're not supposed to be. Come those who feel at the end of the road, fiery debaters and religion haters, accusers, abusers, the hurt and ignored. Come to the feast, there is room at the table. Come let us meet at this place where the king of all kindness who welcomes us in with the wonder of love and the power of grace. Last week, I went to a seminar on how things are for a younger generation. They're 40 and below, that qualifies you apparently, but particularly younger than that. I heard three times I heard it said, we prepare in the church, we prepare young people for success, but we don't prepare them for failure. And that was interesting, I don't know if that's true. But something we all need to know is when you fail, and we all fail because none of us lives up to the standards of Jesus, we're still welcomed because we're loved. You are always welcome. And so are our neighbours. Uh, that was the side bit. The, uh, there was a quote, there was a quote by C.K. Jesterton who said, you know why it's important? You know why we're called to love our neighbours? Because we choose our friends, and by our actions we tend to choose our enemies. But God chooses our neighbours. Which is interesting because it's true. You don't get to choose that. And they're welcome. So what do you get from all of this? First off, you are always welcome to come to Jesus. Always, always, always. Secondly, yes, I think the church, in the church, we are uneasy with the act of judging someone else's character should be they're rightfully uneasy. That does get Jesus' goat. If you find yourself in the position where you are passing judgment on someone else, it's a good time to stop, drop, and roll. Because it, doesn't, it seems to get Jesus' goat. And let's be realistic about this. This is part, was part of our big struggle when it came to COVID and mandates. We know we're supposed to be a welcoming and inclusive church, and we do not want to stand at the door and say, you may not come in. That grates. Yep, And so we had the values of being welcoming and inclusive and yet caring for others. Really clanged. And did we do well? I don't know. We tried to do both as well as honour both the law of the land and embody the care we think Christ would show. And what does that mean? Well, actually, in the past year, we've had occasions when at youth or at impact we've asked, we've had a yellow card... <laughs> 
you can't come next week. It's not like all behaviours are okay. We're not saying that. We're saying that everyone is welcome to Jesus. We don't want to be the barrier that gets in the way from anyone. And maybe it's worth putting the Jesus' stories and our stories of our lives into the context of God's big story, where again we are promised a good end. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 25, In Jerusalem the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. And there he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears and he will move together all in, forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. We look forward to that. So, you can see there's the elements of communion here. Oh, hang on. That's all right, I'll stop that. I'll stop that. I got that wrong. Here we go. I've got the elements of communion here. And look, churches vary in how they approach communion. Um, Our plan is to take it now. There's a warning in 1 Corinthians 11, 28 to 30 that talks about not taking uh, communion too lightly and particularly about the need to consider how you are connected to the body, okay, people here. And I understand it to say it's not a solo thing and that we should take time to consider how are we connected to each other? Is there anything festering we should deal with? Is there anything we should set right? Because taking bread and wine together is a communal act and we are connected. But at this point, I'm going to come down and say kind of typical words and then I'm going to ask three volunteers to come up and help distribute communion because I um, failed in my organisational ability. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. And it is to be made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come. If you have much faith, or if you have little, if you have been here often, and if you have not been for a long time, if you have tried to follow, and if you have failed, come. Not because it's I who invite you, it is our Lord. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. On the night on which Jesus was portrayed, he sat at supper with his disciples. While they were eating, he took a piece of bread and said a blessing, broke it and gave it to them with these words, This is my body, it is for you. Do this to remember me. And later he took a cup of wine, saying, This cup is God's new covenant sealed with my blood. Drink from 